Hello, this is Leslie Garf at Tenzer, and this is Law to Fact. Today, I speak with Professor Ann Lipton about determining whether an investment is a security. In this episode, I speak with Professor Ann Lipton, the Michael M. Fleischman Associate Professor in Business Law and Entrepreneurship at Tulane University. Professor Lipton explains how to determine whether something is or is not a security. I have to confess, securities and the law that surrounds them are not something I studied and so I was reluctant to even engage in the conversation, but Professor Lipton made it easy and understandable. Before we began, I got a little intro to the conversation. What I learned is that stocks and bonds are securities. A question arises, however, when a company or person tries to disguise an investment as something other than a stock or bond to avoid being subject to securities regulation. Professor Lipton illustrated how to evaluate whether something is a security using real-life cases involving chinchillas and earthworms. In this episode, you'll hear how to resolve those issues. She also explains how to evaluate cryptocurrency and whether that is a security. And here's the thing. I was scared of learning about securities in law school. But after learning from Professor Lipton, I know that it's really not that difficult after all. Before we get started, I will reiterate my common plea. If you could like us, rate us, subscribe to us on the platforms on which you listen to us, give us feedback, like us on the social media platforms, we would so appreciate it. That's the fuel for our fire that keeps this podcast going. As always, you can reach us at lawtofact.gmail.com or tweet us at lawtofact if you have a topic you want us to cover or a professor with whom you'd like us to speak. If you're listening to Law to Fact, chances are at some point you'll be taking the bar exam. Well, getting ready for the bar exam means you'll need to choose the study program that's right for you. Kaplan Bar Review will get you ready to take on test day with confidence by offering $100 off live and on-demand bar review with offer code LESLIE100. Visit www.kaplanbarview.com today to sign up. And here's my discussion with Professor Lipton. First question when you talk about securities regulation is, well, is it a security or not? If it's not, then it's not subject to the securities laws. It might be subject to some other kind of law, right. but it's not securities law. Great. When Now we have something and we have to decide whether it's a security or not a security And it's not a stock and it's not a bond and it's not labeled a stock, it's not labeled a bond. So how do we do that test again? What do we look at? Okay, well, there are actually two tests. Um, One of them is called um, the Howey test, and that's to determine whether something's an investment contract. I mean, actually, the statute, I mean, to be technical about it, I mean, this is, I'm giving sort of the Cliff Notes version. The technical thing is that there's a statute that lists, like, it's, thick paragraph, there are two basic sections, they have thick paragraph worth of things that are listed that are securities, options, swaps, 20 million other things, but a lot of those terms are sort of vague and undefined, and that's where courts have to sort of fill in the gaps. Um, but um, for uh, one test is, that's used, it's called the Howey test, it's been coming up a lot if you read the news about the cryptocurrency issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a test to determine whether something's an investment contract that's subject to the securities laws. And you determine whether um, it requires people to invest money in a common enterprise with the expectation of earning a profit through the efforts of others. Okay. Stock. It sounds a lot like stock. Yeah. Um, and then there's an alternative test um, for to determine whether a bond or a debt interest is subject to the securities laws. 
And it's a very odd test, but basically you determine, uh, you assume that any debt with a term of longer than nine months is a security. You presume that, and then you look at it and you say, well, okay, but does it look like things we really don't think are securities at all, like consumer loans and things like that? And if so, then we say it's not a security. Bonds, it's a very sort of odd test, and really it's for odd historical reasons that we've come up with two separate diverging ways of approaching it. All right, so let's let's go back to the Chinchilla Ponzi scheme. So, <laughs> so that's so, a real thing. That's I know. With earthworms. Okay, so so all right. So what happened in that case? And then let's test, uh, you know, whether that is or not, is not a security or not. Okay, um, so with the Chinchillas, um, and I may get some of the details wrong, but basically, so the idea is, and this happens, it happens with the Chinchillas, happens with the earthworms, and there are a lot of similar kinds of schemes. They really come down to a basic thing where. Um, what you have is uh, somebody who advertises, you know, make money at home with no effort. Okay. Something along those lines. And what it is that you have to do to make money at home with no effort is um, invest some money, mm-hmm. you know, to get a starter kit of some kind, baby chinchillas, earthworms, something. And you're told that essentially it's effortless to raise these, and then you can sell them back to the company that will find some kind of market or buyer for the final product. Okay. Um, so, and the theory here is that um, these count as investment contracts, and thus, and and what, and they tend to be frauds or scams because it turns out that um, you can't do whatever it is you're, that's the effortless thing you're supposed to be doing is really not all that effortless, or there really isn't much of a market, so you can't sell it back to the company. Whatever you know, whatever it is goes wrong, and okay. people who invest to buy the starter kit end up losing them. Yeah, losing their investment. All right, yeah. So, so they say they get the earthworms, and then they're supposed to grow the earthworms, and the earthworms don't grow, so they have nothing to sell back to the exactly. people who promised they would buy them. Okay, got it. Exactly, something along those lines. Okay. You know, there are variations, but that's the basic outline of the scheme. And um, based on the Howie test, and the idea is you've invested money. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's the first element. Um, in a common enterprise, uh, use, there are different tests for what counts as common, but basically something to do with multiple people that are involved here um, that are all has some kind of interest in the business. Um, you have an expectation of earning a profit, right? clearly. And then the final uh, aspect of the test is through the efforts of others. Now, the thing that gets sticky here is that theoretically it's sort of not through the efforts of others because you were supposed to raise the earthworms. Right. But if it's sold as... Absolutely effortless, no effort involved, and we're the and we the sellers are the ones who are going to find the market for you. Courts tend to say you weren't really you were expect you were relying on their efforts, and you weren't expecting that it would be your efforts that would be involved. Got it. So it counts, and with cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin is probably not a security. It's almost certainly not a security. Mm-hmm. But what t- what's been happening a lot is um, companies are doing this thing where they'll be like, um, there was a recent case, um, somebody had a, an idea for a restaurant app. And the idea was something like, um, if you, uh, you, could, you could buy, the company was going to issue cryptocurrencies, um, like its own specialized cryptocurrency, that theoretically was going to be uh, used, you could use it as payment at restaurants, so okay. that you could like go to a restaurant and use your cryptocurrency to pay for your meal, mm-hmm. and um, and so and they and they were selling the cryptocurrency as and they were saying we're going to use this money that we get from it to develop the app and restaurants will want to be part of the app and because they'll be wanting to be part of the app they will accept the cryptocurrency as payment for the meal. Um, so it was something along those lines. 
Now, that does not sound like an investment contract because you're investing money, but you're not doing it with the expectation of profit, theoretically. You're doing it because you want to be able to go to a restaurant. Right, right. But when, and this company, it was similar to a zillion companies that did a similar thing. Everybody sort of understood and it was marketed as, okay, yeah, it's supposed to be used for a restaurant, but we all know that in fact, cryptocurrencies are hot. And the reason you're going to want to buy them is because we expect they'll explode in value and then you can sell them to other people for money mm-hmm. or, you know, trade them for something else. Mm-hmm. So we're saying it's for use at a restaurant, but in fact, we all know that everyone just wants cryptocurrencies and we expect that when we tell everybody our idea and promote it, that your cryptocurrencies are going to go up in value. So the reality was that even though they were being sold as essentially like a voucher for use at a restaurant, the real purpose of them was in the expectation that everyone was in on this cryptocurrency thing and the company would promote its cryptocurrency and you would be able to earn a profit. So it was deemed to be an investment contract. That's so, 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 you know, it's, I, I get it. Just remind me really quickly. What's the three prong test again? The Howie test? Oh, a four prong. Four invest prong. money and a com- invest money mm-hmm. and a common enterprise with the expectation of profit from the efforts of others. So this is so interesting. I because I I totally get it. I mean, especially from the from the efforts of others. When you think about buying stock in the Gap, right? The Gap mm-hmm. is working hard to create a business model. They may need extra money, but through their efforts, if the Gap is profitable, I get money back, right? If Facebook, mm-hmm. if I invest in Facebook and Facebook is profitable, I get money back. If Facebook isn't profitable, I don't get money back. But it still is from their efforts. And exactly, and 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 it's mostly from their efforts, like the, because the idea of you're taking part in it, that's a little different because you have some control over it, right? But if you're but it's their efforts. If you're essentially relying on someone else's efforts and you're not putting in much, then you're very vulnerable. Got it. The, the, I understand it. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> well, that's good. I really understand it. It, 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 it. You know, it seems it's interesting because it seems so overwhelming. This idea of security is particularly if you don't teach it. But really, it's like every other area of the law. We throw out the test and you apply the test and you see how law compares. Yeah, that's exactly how it. facts compare. So, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a hot area now to sort of argue about whether cryptocurrency should be regulated differently and so forth. But for now, whatever the should is, the, 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 the actual is we use the same test that we've always used. And if companies are selling their own specific secu- cryptocurrency, which really is being sold as an investment, even if they claim it's a voucher for restaurants or whatever it is, it's going to be treated as a security. And that makes sense. So you can mask it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that means... And now you're part of the securities regulator. It doesn't mean you can't do it. You can. You can sell securities. We allow it. But you, you, but it means now you, you're part of the securities regulation system. Right. And, and the securities regulation system is essential because without regulation, we've seen that kind of the economy can crash. So it's important. Well, yeah. We, yeah. Exactly. I mean, the regulatory system essentially developed in the wake of the 1929 market crash. Up until then, states basically tried to uh, regulate the sale of securities individually. And it doesn't work very well because you can sell securities across state lines. And so, you know, people would just sort of, you know, the securities would migrate from loosely regulated jurisdictions to more tightly regulated ones. Um, And, uh, uh, you know, they originate in the loosely and sell across state lines. So um, so after the 1929 market crash, um, Congress passed two major statutes, which are sort of the, the backbone of all securities regulation today, and that's the Securities Act of 1933 and the Exchange Act of 1934. And that created the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and 
um, basically began the whole infrastructure of securities regulation that we have today. Got it. Got it. This is great. I get it and I understand it. Um, anything else you want to add? I think it's, it's you've made it so straightforward. <laughs> well, yeah, but then what you get into is essentially um, the main the main way we regulate securities is disclosure. Um, like you could have another system. States often did have other systems um, called merit regulation where you would basically, it's not simply disclose, it's somebody actually reviews it and says, I don't know if this is a good investment. You can't sell it if it's not a good investment. These are terrible terms. But we don't do that. We let the, what we ultimately settled on was letting, look, if people want to invest, they can invest, but we're going to make um, companies disclose exactly what they're doing before we allow people to invest. And then there are 20 zillion exceptions to those and what you have to disclose and when, and that becomes the, the rest of the course. Got it. So once, you, once you've identified what is a security, then you have to meet the disclosure requirements. If it falls into this kind of definition of security, then you're obligated to disclose, correct? Exactly. It, 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 Unless you fall into one of the many, many exceptions, which is, you know, a huge chunk of the course, exactly what disclosure requirements, when and when they apply. Got it. All right. So that we'll save that for the next podcast. Okay. Um, well, this has been really wonderful. Um, I have another question for you. If you were to give a piece of advice to law students, what would be the single most important piece of advice you would give to them? Um, well, I, 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 have, I, I have my favorite piece of advice, and I've actually fought with other professors because not everyone agrees with me on this, but I feel very strongly about it. Um, and it is to take um, a wide variety of basic intro-level classes, even things that you don't think you're interested in, even things that aren't on the bar and you're not taking them because they're on the bar. Um, because my view, and this happened to me in law school, it's happened to so many people I know, um, where you don't really know what you don't know. How laws portrayed in the media is very different from you know the actual practice. And I've seen it so many times that students just, they, they hear a subject, but they don't really know what is involved. And they don't discover that they love it until they take the class in it. And they had no idea that this was something that was going to interest them. So I would ur and urge students to take a broad level of intro classes because you're going to discover things that you didn't realize that you were really interested in. And the other thing is I also think it makes for a really good lawyer to have the flexibility to know about different areas of law because that's how you solve novel problems in one area. You compare them to other areas. And you can't do that if you haven't learned about the other areas. Do you know that that's my single best, most important piece of advice? <laughs> I am in I'm your sorry, camp. I am. I am. Yeah. Because the other, right, you don't know what you don't know. And the other thing is, once you're out, you're practicing one little area of the law. So you should get as wide a breadth of knowledge as you possibly can while you have an opportunity to get it. So yeah, I, exactly. I am in your camp, so to speak. So, <laughs> well, thank you so much. I mean, I know that this is going to be invaluable to, um, students of securities regulations, because to your point, many of them have never been ex exposed to it. So I think that this will be really helpful. You've made it really understandable, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. No, I, I, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that's my discussion with Professor Lipton about how to identify when something is a security. Once again, a reminder that Kaplan Bar Review is offering you $100 off their live and on-demand bar review program. Just use Leslie 100 as your code when you sign on at www.kaplanbarreview.com. And a final reminder that you can reach us at lawdefact.gmail.com or tweet us at lawdefact with any suggestions, recommendations, or requests. Enjoy your week.